Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of approximately 1,000 churches in Kansas and Nebraska. As the title of this podcast suggests, I'm not ordained clergy, so what I share comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 20 years of experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teens to 90-somethings, and I'm excited to share what Scripture has to say to us in today's society, and I love to tell stories of how people live their faith. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes include interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. And other episodes include some short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. sharing in the past few episodes some interviews with people deeply committed to lay ministry in the Great Plains Conference. We've learned how certified lay ministers can lead the local church in a pastoral role by talking with Jada Hudson, a CLM serving in a rural church in Plum Creek near Paola, Kansas. She preaches, provides pastoral care, and does most of the other duties that an elder or licensed local pastor would be doing in such a setting. Then you heard my discussion with Brian Hankins. He's a CLM who serves as an associate pastor for two churches in the urban area around Omaha. From him, we learned how CLM can serve as a leader in Christian education while also preaching at times and helping the lead pastor in many duties. In this episode, we're going to continue to explore lay ministry a bit. Our guest this time is Reverend Dr. Carl Ellis. Carl is serving as a retired elder at Hyattville and Uniontown, both near Fort Scott, Kansas but he also is the founder and leader for the Academy for Small Membership Church Ministries. This organization has been training lay people to serve in ministry roles for more than 30 years. I traveled recently to Hyattville to meet with Carl at the parsonage where he and his wife live. What you're about to hear is our discussion, which focuses heavily on Carl's views on lay ministry and on his work with the Academy for Small Membership Church Ministries. Give it a listen. I hope you'll find our discussion interesting. And I'm sitting here today with Reverend Carl Ellis. He is, we are in where? Tell us where we're at right now. We are at um, Hyattville, Kansas, which is southwest of um, Fort Scott, about 16 miles. We're kind of, it's an open country church. And it truly is. There are literally sheep just to the south of us that's here. That's right, yeah. uh, And so uh, that's one point, but you have a two-point charge. What's the other church? The other church I'm at is uh, Uniontown, Kansas. Um, it is 16 miles due west of um Pass the sign, head that way as like it was coming this direction. So we are in Carl's, uh, the Parsonage office here. And as I'm looking around, I see a notebook that says Certified Lay Minister Training Workbook. And I know Certified Lay Ministry is a real passion of yours, but some people may not understand exactly what all you do with the CLM program. I want you to tell us about the Academy uh, and just explain what that is and and, uh, what it does. We'll get into the beginnings of it in a minute, but just tell us at top layer, 10,000-foot level, what is the Lay Academy? Well, Lay Academy is um, basically we've changed the name, so I need to bring it up. It's the Academy for uh, Small Membership Church Ministries. And basically, all, all we do with the academy is to help small membership churches. I mean, our, our goal is to train laypersons to move into serving 
um, small membership churches. They can't afford a pastor. Uh, we want to do, design programs, programs that uh, help small membership churches. Uh, we don't worry about the medium size or the larger churches. A lot of programs are set up for those. Um, we're designing, we have another program we're going to be rolling out next year that um, kind of got pushed back because of COVID, where we're working with uh, pastors moving into small membership churches to help them develop relationships with folks uh, so that they have a really good relationship when they begin their pastor together. And then we, we, we're developing courses such as, um, so they can take some continued education, which would be, um, how do you do pastoral care? How do you do Christian education? How do you do, uh, get, develop your preaching to go a step further, but they're all designed for small membership churches. We, we don't, we don't try to do the larger or medium-sized churches. Um, our goal is to do things that are really practical for small membership churches. And so small membership, what does that mean? And, you know, as far as what the academy is doing, is there a definition that you go by or a benchmark? There's a number of benchmarks. And part of the problem that we have is that um, when you look at that, I, I just say there's about two or three, three or four criteria. Number one, it could be, um, it's usually some people say under 70 people, and I think it may be dropping a little bit, but it'd be 70 people um, or less in worship. Um, that would be one. Your structure for how you run the church is another benchmark that you want to look at. So if you go to a small membership church, usually um, there's one board. There isn't a board of trustees. There isn't the pastor parish relations committee. There isn't, you know, an education committee. There's probably 10 people, 6 to 12 people that sit on the board. They make the decisions. And that would be, enough. how is your church structured? Um, the other is that it's a family church. And um, the people that come there come because they're part of that family. And um, they're adopted in. And I was going to say, so sometimes literally the family. That's right. Because, yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, so, let's just face it, some of our rural areas, especially, uh, it's, it's extended family that are all the members okay. of the church, but then adopted into the family, meaning people who come into the community uh, are adopted into that group of right. believers. Yeah. 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 And, and I have to admit that uh, my, um, I live, my home is, um, sits on 80 acres, which is my wife's home. Uh, close to my wife where she was uh, raised and born born and raised and uh, the interesting thing is that she's related to probably half of uh, people in this area so it really helps that uh, you have some family connections yeah it gives you some instant uh, connection to some people That's right, right? yes, yes. Uh, so when we talk about the academy I want to back up a few years what gave you the idea to even start it and then we'll talk about how it morphed later on but but how did it get started um, and um, 1987, I went to Eureka. I was serving in a cooperative parish. And um, we had, there were six churches. I served the county seat church. And uh, so I was the director, and I had the parish director at the time of the cooperative parish. And we had one pastor that was just causing all sorts of difficulties in other churches. Not only his, but some others. And it, it really became uh, important to find somebody else to serve that church. And the district superintendent told me there was nobody to send. 
And I suggested that we train a layperson. Now, this was in 87, and, she's, and he said to me there'd be no way we could put a layperson into a church. But um, I, I never wanted to back down from a challenge, and so I began experimenting with different models for how to train people. And, and um, the first model was to work with a layperson um, uh, for a month and to have them do some shadowing every Sunday for one month. Uh, so they would come one Sunday and visit the congregation. We'd talk about what was happening. Second Sunday they would um, um, uh, take a little more active role in the church. Um, and then the third Sunday they would actually lead worship. And the fourth Sunday they would actually preach a sermon. But I realized that wasn't enough and so uh, when I moved to, back in 1987-88, when I moved to Neodiche, Jan Hayen, who was the superintendent at the time, um, had two pastors he'd like me to work with, and so we met every other week for a year um, to work with them in their, their um, setting. Uh, but that was too much. That was too many times. And so finally I began to say, what is it? What are the essentials? to training somebody to move in. What's the foundation uh, that needs to happen? And so in 1999, um, Jan Hand said, let's go with this. And so we sent out, I sent out a uh, self-made flyer and um, said, and I thought, if I get six people that would do this, I would go ahead and, and run it. And I had 21 people sign up that year. Wow, okay. And we actually had, um, a class here, and um, we had a class at Neo. At um, we had a class at Neo and then we had a class in Topeka. We split it because there were so many. And I do one on Saturday, and one on, on Sunday. But basically, you know, as I see it, um, the there are. If you go to a baseball game, you get there before the game. You go to a basketball game before the game. You go to a choir concert. There's a couple things that people do. They always warm up. Mm -hmm. They, there's right. fundamentals to what they need. And I began to say, what are the fundamentals that we need to teach? And so um, the Lay Academy, which is now called Foundations and Call the Ministry, deals with the fundamentals of ministry. What are the fundamentals that a person needs in order to serve? And it's just to help them develop that base and that comfort zone uh, to begin ministry and to go into a smallership church and serve. And then to help them love what they do so much that they begin to say, gee, I want to learn more about preaching and I want to know more about church history and I want to know more about theology so that we give them a um, foundation where they um, then go on. And um, probably 90% or more of the students that take the CLM courses that we take um, go on to course study, which I think is a success. We've even had some uh, go on to, to um, get their Master of Divinity degree. And I think that um, when you can help somebody to begin and um, we give them kind of their sea legs, they know they can do it, then they go on. So we have in, in the nine-month time, that we there's ten months really, the first is to help them figure out what their call to ministry is and what their gifts are. <laughs> and then to do preaching and leadership and education and um, theology and um, sacraments and um, Christian ad and evangelism and um, history and pastoral care. 
So they get a base and all of that. So when they go in, they have, they're comfortable with what they're doing. Yeah, because so many times people just see what happens on Sunday morning. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's literally one small piece of it, that's right? right? I yeah. mean, there's so much that goes on outside of the sanctuary walls. Um, you said back in 1987. Yes. So we're talking 34 years ago. Right. Um, and we look at today's church, and especially in the Great Plains Conference, we have a shortage of clergy. Uh, and we have a lot of churches that have gotten small enough now to where they, just like you were saying in 1987, they can't afford an elder for certain and really can't afford a, a, a local licensed pastor. So all of a sudden, the lay minister becomes uh, a real key component to helping those congregations continue to worship on a regular basis. Um how have you seen things evolve over those 34 years? I mean, I just can't give you my snapshot, but the need for what this, what the academy provides, how do you see that as not just today, but in the future? Why is that going to be important? Well, I, I think there's a couple things that we need to remember. And um, I, I think one is that um, we have to understand that rural is depopulating. In, in our area of the country, we're the only area, and I'm talking about if you take us, if you were to, to start North Dakota, South Dakota, um, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas, even Texas, and you look at the, that, that swatch of land in there, these are the only areas in all over the United States that are depopulating. Now, Kansas City is going to continue to grow. Lawrence is going to continue to grow. Your metropolitan areas, you're going to have um, Dodge City where they have huge meatpacking plants grow. But when you look at rural, we're depopulating, and so we're going to need a larger number of um, laypersons um, to serve. I mean, the need is just going to get greater and greater. The other issue that we have um, is with church finance and the fact that um, uh, some churches that have had um, uh, clergy-trained associates. So when I came, a number of churches um, had just not a senior pastor, but they had an associate pastor, right. a senior trained. Um, those churches no longer can. And uh, a really good layperson who's trained to be a CLM can come in and help with pastoral care. Um, they can come in and help with um, Christian education, they can do a lot of things, and and the pastor then is not burdened, but can can really concentrate on um, Sunday morning worship, preaching, and leading the congregation, and it's freed up them some of those other things that prevent him or her from getting that done. So our last episode, Brian Hankins was our was our guest uh, up in Omaha, and that's exactly what he focuses on Christian education. So at the right. pastor he serves with. Uh, it's a two-point charge. Yeah. Uh, can focus on the, the what the lead pastor probably should be focusing on. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think it's important. Isn't it interesting that some people lament this idea of more lay people being at the pulpit, but the reality is that's how our denomination really grew <laughs> in the Midwest, especially. You guys, I mean, you go from the Appalachian Mountains really almost to the Rockies, that was how the Methodist church exploded, right? I mean, it was, it was lay people who were there while the elder was on the horseback or uh, even when we got to areas the era after the horseback, the, the, 
there weren't clergy everywhere. Uh, no. So, I mean, it's kind, of, it's kind of like we've come back to the roots in a way. Yeah, and, and I think that um, what our, what the, our, um, the people understood in that day was that they needed laypersons and the strength of laypersons in a church. Um, and just to give you a little history, because you asked the question, we're talking mm-hmm. about it, um, really the advent of um, fully trained clergy didn't come into being until 1952. And the reason why it came in in 1952 was because of the GI Bill. We had people mm-hmm. returning to more. They now had the money, and the cost of seminary was uh, affordable now. And so they began to develop a seminary, um, and that became their focus. And the focus of the Methodist Church especially was that everybody should be seminary trained. And so from 1952 until we began having an um, economy changed and rural places began to get smaller, uh, we had places for all folks. And so mm-hmm. um, that's kind of the history of it. And now we're beginning to say financially it's not credible. There's, um, I think we're getting better with seminaries, but the la- latest, uh, the last uh, word I had was that a lot of seminarians come out with $50,000 worth of debt. Right. Well, I, I, my son's in seminary. Yes. Uh, now, he was lucky enough to win a scholarship, and so his, his cost is, is extremely low, right. but that's not the norm, and I understand that. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to th- just a great illustration of what you just talked about is all you've got to do is go through small towns throughout Kansas and Nebraska, and there's almost always in the county seat a United Methodist Church. Correct. Uh, you can't say that for a lot of other denominations. And it just goes to show that in that era when we could have churches everywhere, because we had pastors for all of them, and the economy was different, the economies of the church were different, so they could afford to put a pastor in each one of those each one of those churches. Now you see more of those, that, you know, they used to be Methodist churches. They've been closed uh, um, because of the economy of things, or as you said, people leaving, just literally the people leaving that area. Um, I just find it interesting in my travels, I go all over the place in these two states, and so I get to see a lot of those small buildings. Uh, and to me, this kind of takes me back to, oh, what this must have been like in the 50s and 60s and, and these thriving little communities. Yeah, well, and in Hyattville, where we're at, I mean, now there are six homes. There are six to 12 homes, I think, here in Hyattville, somewhere around there. But um, just as I was coming to Hyattville in 1983, um, they had a store and a post office, um, and 10, 15 years before, they had a school, they had post office, they had stores, they had, uh, the train used to come here through here, pick up cattle and pigs and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the train no longer comes through here anymore. You don't have to worry on Sunday morning about getting to church on time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, um. Yeah, rural towns. One of the interesting things is you talk about small towns, though, is that there was a group out of K-State that did a study of small towns. And there were three things that they discovered that all churches, or that all small towns had, the most common in, in, in small towns. The post office, mm-hmm. the elevator, right, and the church. And most of those were, and still are, United Methodist churches. And the United Methodist Church, in a lot of small towns, becomes that community meeting place. 
And I think that's the thing we forget is how important small membership churches are to that community. And um, that's why I think it's really important. And um, yes, I know there may be just 15, 20, 25 people at a church, but um, it's so important for a child to know that there's a family that they can grow up in. So important for them to know that there's somebody that cares. And um, a lot of the children, they grow up, their grandparents live hundreds of miles away. And so having a grandma, a grandpa that's adopted that they can sit with during ch at church on Sunday is so important. At Hyattville, we have some kids that come in. We have three kids that come in. And yes, they do have grandparents. But they make a beeline for the Sunday school teacher and for the, for the woman who does children's sermons. Mm -hmm. And they sit with her. And I think that's just the value of the small mission churches. Yeah, I, so it was not a small church, but it had the same feel. When my, my wife started the church start in Utah, uh, when I was a newspaper editor out there, and everybody was hundreds if not thousands of miles removed from their grandchildren. And here my two kids <laughs> were young at the time. Their grandparents were back in Kansas. And so uh, it was about 1,500 miles, if I remember right. Uh, and so, yeah, they had adopt my kids had adopted grandparents that they would go to, and they still have great relationships with some of those people. Uh, it's really amazing. Matter of fact, they my my son got married this last summer, and and uh, two of them were there, and so you know came to the wedding you know, in Nebraska. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, so I understand that dynamic. I, I serve a small church, so I'm at Lawrence Centenary now, not a rural area, uh, but it's a small church on the north side of the river in Lawrence. I'm a CLM. Um, and it's the same, it's exactly what you were talking about, you know, getting, getting used to a rhythm, I got to say was a bit of a challenge. It started off really nice, but then, you know, like the day job started picking up momentum again, uh, uh and, and what's starting to be a, a, you know, end of the COVID world, hopefully. Um, so it's been, it's been interesting for me to get that feel for, okay, besides Sunday morning, it's the hospital visits. There have been a lot of those lately. I have an older congregation. Uh, it's getting people interested in things outside the four walls of the church. So partnerships with community uh, uh, organizations in the north part of Lawrence has been, it's a time-consuming challenge. So lay people have, have that capability, though, because we still can go out and meet people. You don't have to have the reverend in front of your name to go out and say hello to people and to understand, help them understand that the church is involved. So. Yeah, I, I want uh, as you talk about that. I, I I do want to say that's what when we designed the course. Um, I guess I designed that course for training lay people in the ministry. We designed it with a lay person in mind, and so that's why we meet on Saturday mornings when most people are able to be there, or Sunday evenings. Um, we um, we take. Um, Every month, we take one part of the preaching, developing a sermon, um, so they learn how to, to create a sermon in steps rather than to try to sit down and one day and write the sermon. And so we work with them on rough reading. We work with them on doing a little bit of exegetical work and learning about it. We work with them on finding their um, what the theme of their sermon is going to be, what their main points are going to be, how they're going to do ex put examples into it, um, how they're going to write a rough draft, how they're going to put it into formal draft, and then how they're going to uh, preach um, ideas, not words. 
so that mm-hmm. and and really if you looked at a, uh, if we look at most pastors and I'm not talking about big church pastors or um, they have a lot of staff and so they spend a, a large amount of time but most of us that work in the you know smaller and medium-sized churches don't have the luxury of working three four hours a day and so um, Craddock had a method for taking um, uh, and looking at the sermon in pieces. And so what we try to work with people on is working 20, 15, 20, 30 minutes on this part, 15, 20 minutes on that part, so that every day you're doing a part or two of writing the sermon at different times when it fits into your schedule. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you get to Thursday, Friday, or maybe Saturday, you're not spending hours trying to figure out what you're going to say. And so part of ours is how do you develop a rhythm and how do you not burn out when you're serving the church? And um, that's, that's our, my goal is uh, it's, it's strictly how do you help the layperson? It's, mm-hmm. it's to take what we do and give them those tools. We'll be back with more from my discussion with Reverend Dr. Carl Ellis in just a moment. Join me, Ashley Alley Crawford, and me, Shelley Petz, as we host conversations with and for clergy in order to describe what's happening, ask questions about how God is at work in our midst, and encourage the heart of pastors and leaders in this liminal time in which we find ourselves. Our show is called At the Threshold because we know that we are in the midst of change in this season. You can subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app. Also, check out our website at greatplains.org slash at dash the dash threshold for more resources related to each topic. Our goal with each conversation is to find a little light at the threshold. Matthew 28 tells us to make disciples of Jesus Christ, but how can you do that? You can help by providing some inspiration each morning to someone else. Just go to www.greatplainsumc.org dailydevotions. Once there, you'll find a QR code and a link to a sign-up page. Pick your day and your topic. If you need some assistance, there's even a link to the Vanderbilt University Daily Lectionary. Follow the instructions for submitting your devotion, and you've done your part to help inspire and encourage others in their Christian walk. Again, that's www.greatplainsumc.org slash daily devotions. Help make more disciples today. And now here's more of my discussion with Carl Ellis, leader of the Academy for Small Membership Church Ministries. In future episodes, we're going to be talking with uh, a farmer who's a CLM. Right. Uh, well, I'm not sure if he's a CLM, but he's serving he's serving a local church. Uh, he, he's a layperson for now, anyway. And, and I understand just the just think about the time that goes into being a farmer. <laughs> and, he, and this is not a small parcel of land. I mean, he's he's farming pretty substantial uh, acreage up in Nebraska. So we're going to be talking with someone about that. Uh, we talked to Jada Hodson uh, uh, about a month or so ago. Uh, she's uh, been a CLM for 15 plus years, I think it is. Yeah. 
uh, and I know she works with you in the academy. Um, she's probably a pretty good example of somebody that's figured out how to do this. Uh, she's been doing it long enough. Uh, I guess I want to walk back to some of the things that the people who go through the academy learn. Is there one aspect of that, of the entire course load, that you think is is often overlooked by other people that it's that it's so important that the academy covers it? Uh, let me just backtrack one step okay. uh, because Jada Hodson is very important in our course because we co-teach. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm so thankful for the work because she brings in a different perspective. And so you don't just, and I think that's one of the models we need to develop is we need to develop the model of um, laity and clergy working together versus separate. And so, but Jada is just um, a great person to have. Um, I think that, um, I think that the, uh, what's overlooked is how we, um, it is training people um, uh, on how, the how to do it, the practical side of it. So if it, what we do is every part of the lay academy really deals with how are you going to put this into practice mm -hmm. i mean we we want them to understand when we talk about theology we certainly want to understand wesleyan's understanding of grace prevenient grace justifying grace and sanctification mm -hmm. the question is how then does that apply and how do you share that yeah what, your, what does that look like in today's world right. and how do you how do you put that right. into practice yeah and if 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 our folks come out and they have no idea of how that works in the church or how that's going to come out in their sermon or why that's important when it comes to baptism, then... Or just how you explain that to other people. Right. Then we fail. So mine is, um, it's, a, it's a blend of academic and practice. Um, and I think the other thing is that, um, the other thing that is really important here is um, that... Uh, what we do is we do a lot of um, sharing in forums. And so not only do they talk to us, but they talk to each other. So they have a chance to really uh, bounce ideas off each other and learn from each other. Yeah. So it's not just a lecture. Yeah. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's an opportunity to, to really get into a discussion where you can share yeah. ideas. And what's surprising to both Jada and I is that um, uh, our folks um, – are still talking to each other long after the course is done. Mm -hmm. The thought that um, we think that we have this thing where we have to meet in person, and when you meet in person, you develop relationships, and we don't think that can happen with um, uh, an online program where where and we do the one once a month check in on Zoom, but after about the first month, um, and they have talked to each other through forums and they get together on the um, zoom um, our folks become very close um, they become uh, colleagues in ministry and they become colleagues with us mm -hmm. and so that's really cool i learned so much i guess one of the reasons why i do it is because it keeps me really young <laughs> well i was going to say as somebody who works with a new group of people because they yeah. go through the, it takes about a year correct right it takes 10 months 10 months so yeah. over the course of 10 months Yes, you're sharing your knowledge with them, but because of the different perspectives, because these people come from all different walks of life, right? So as they're sharing their ideas on the things you're teaching, I got to think that that rings some bells for you, too, on how you might adapt and change some things. Certainly. And, and, um, and I'm, it's, 
I think that's the sign of a good minister is that a uh, good pastor is that you're always learning and and my sermons are much better because I'm in a lectionary group with we and we do study lectionary every week uh, or every month they have to prepare lectionary a month ahead um, so that they have some ideas because you never know when things are going to uh, when life happens at the day life job happens at, on the real job uh-huh. and then you're saying what am I going to do and so we they've by the time they get to, so this month, they'll meet in a week, and they'll be looking at December. And so they will have discussed all the passages. Uh, they look at the Old Testament, the Psalm, the Epistle, and the Gospel. And they have a pretty good idea then where they're gonna, what they're going to mm-hmm. say. And if, they, if life happens, um, they at least have some base, and they've heard something. for what they, And I think that would be the other unique thing about our courses that we – uh, we're we're there to help them with their um, with that preaching. It's not just then the concepts. What you're actually also helping them understand is the practice, because uh, I got to think that that's a valuable practice to stay about four weeks ahead in your in your planning. You may not necessarily write it four weeks in advance, but you've got the idea of where you're going to go with it. Correct. Um, my background as a newspaper person helped me with that because you always plan four weeks out yeah. on everything for the centerpieces, and so this is just the, okay. The sermon is the centerpiece. I've got to, I always have that kind of in my head. That's my that's my background, so that's how I'm thinking about it. Um, See, I just learned something today. I'm going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> what is your centerpiece? Yeah, yeah, that's what, good. Yep, that's that's the way we that's the way I always thought about it. So uh, I want to get to an event that you have coming up in February, correct? Correct. Uh, so this is a spring workshop uh, for the Academy for Small Membership Churches. Uh, what is it, first of all, and then we'll talk about how people can get involved. The, the um, Academy last year did a survey of laity and clergy. We had around 400 people, I think, that uh, participated all over the United States. Um, and we were saying, what are some of the issues? And one of the issues was, how do we talk to others? And, and how do we relate? And... Uh, both clergy and um, lady had the same, you know, question, and so the board got together and uh, we talked about uh, what we would do. And we said our goal this year, the the area we need to work with, is a ministry of presence, cultivating relationships in an ever changing world, and that's where we're at. We're in an ever changing world, and how do we develop relationships? I think at some point, small membership churches have um, kind of become uh, fo- f- focus in their four walls and so we recruited um, uh, George Howard um, who has been with the Board of Global Ministries and George by the way is a lay person and, and some people may remember him if you were at annual conference a few years ago he was our featured speaker I believe it was Bishop Jones's last one with us so it would have been 2016 yeah. uh, I had the opportunity to work with George uh, on his slides and stuff yeah. and and uh, great great guy with real depth of knowledge and a real passion for people who are serving the church yeah so he's gonna come in and help us and guide us in that um, and so um, we're gonna Hopefully, when, when the participants get done, it's going to be a, a two-and-a-half-hour workshop Saturday morning, um, the last Saturday of February. And um, the participants are going to understand the power of presence with people. Uh, we're going to give them skills in building relationships. Um, we're going to learn how to have hard conversations with people holding different perspectives, which I think we've all seen. And ways to present with people through difficult and challenging times. 
And Gee, I can't imagine why we would ever need that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, yeah, yeah. As we've gone through mask and uh, um, shots and, and uh, down in our area, it's windmills. Turbines. Turbines, yeah, yes. Turbines, let me get it right. Um, we're also going to have, um, there's going to be discussion and interviews with different people about Swamishup churches. Um, George will present some. And then we're going to break off into uh, small groups um, so that every time we uh, take one area, we can break off into a group. So um, first, we're, the first presentation will be gifts we offer. What are the gifts we have? You know, what does our mm -hmm. church have? What, what gifts do we bring? And then we'll get into small groups and talk about what is our gifts, small churches and ourselves and our families. And then the second presentation will be challenges we see. What challenges we see in our community? What are the things that we deal with? And then um, after we um, discuss that, um, we will also have uh, a Bishop of Africa in the fastest growing um, conference in uh, the world come and share with. He'll be taped and videotaped with um, George. We'll go into our small groups and, and think about what do our year neighbors yearn for? Mm -hmm. And how do our how do we have conversation with people? And then we'll go to the third presentation. What are the opportunities that we have in our communities? And um, we'll finish with going to small groups. Um, and then we'll come back with a short wrap up. Um, we will have a um, some study tools and some things that uh, churches could do and people could take back to their churches so that this just doesn't become a one-day thing. This mm -hmm. becomes, uh, we want people to keep working on this for the whole year. So it's more of a launching point right, as opposed a to a one-day event. Um, if, if we're not, um, one of the problems is you go to a workshop and you get what you have there and then you never do anything with it. And our goal right. is to make sure that when you come to a church or to our workshop, you can take it back to church and you can share it with your church and it becomes a reality. And so um, that's the, the goal of this workshop. And that's, that's really the whole goal of the academy is that we want everything that people can learn to be practical for their, where they're working. We want it to be applicable to where they're at. You know, and we want them to be able to use it, to actually be able to put it into practice. So two things I want to get into before we conclude here okay. is how they can get involved in the spring workshop. So how can people take part in that? Okay. Well, they can go to the um, – we will have a flyer out in the next uh, week, and we'll be sending that to the conference. We can put it on the conference webpage. But they can also go to our webpage, which is – uh, the www.tasmcm.org, um, and that will be on that. And the same thing with if they want to um, get involved and be part of the, the Academy, our Foundations for Ministry class and the call class, it's all on our webpage, the www.tasmcm. Uh, uh, so that's how they can get involved. The registration will be $10. Um, for the day. Um, we are planning on having um, uh, leaders for all of our small groups so that, um, that will help to guide and help mm -hmm. and direct. Okay, so that's the event. Uh, now, who, who, who needs to get involved in the Academy overall? I mean, who are the, who are the types of folks you're looking for that you think you can help the most, and, and then how do they get involved? Well, um, we have... Uh, 
three three people we're looking for. Number one is if people are looking at um, moving into CLM, we invite uh, folks to look at um, our CLM program. There are a number of models out there, and we want to encourage you to find the model that works best for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so um, the the Great Plains Conference has a model that that is very good. Um, Go be a disciple has a model. Um, we have a model, and if people are looking for something that is um, would be more of a uh, mentorship type program, um, then I think we have a program that would fit. So we hope that they'll look at mm-hmm. our program as one of those options for going into CLM. Um, the second person we're looking for are um, those church members that want to really um, find ways in which they can help their church to grow. Um, they're not looking for a cookie cutter type system, but we're going to have programs like this. Um, um, you know, the workshop where they can get involved, they can take the workshop. And we're going to have people around after the workshop that will be able to help them take steps um, to, to implement what they learn. And then the third person we're looking for is we're always looking at people that are willing to teach a course. Um, and we're looking at anywhere from four to six weeks. Um, it might be uh, one of the courses, and, and I'd love to have the conference try this sometime, um, to uh, teach a course on how do you use um, Facebook or how do you do um, how do you improve your newsletter or how do you improve mm-hmm. um, your social media uh, influence but so that we we're looking for people that have an understanding of that um, we have we're going to be having a class on how you put that together but the great thing about um, our what we're doing is that it's on everything will be on zoom um, and we also use Moodle, which is a platform for learning. Mm-hmm. And we have um, Cam Howard, who works um, with a number of different conferences and with the Board of uh, uh, Board of Day Ministry at putting courses together on Zoom. And so if a person comes with their outline and they have their goals and objectives and their uh, platform kind of planned out and she can help do that, we pay her to help get that put together. Mm-hmm. So a person doesn't have to learn how to just do Moodle. What we're interested in are pastors or laypersons who understand one aspect of ministry that would want to teach a course that are and are able to do that for small membership churches. You know, we, want, we want to be sure. A lot of programs are designed for the larger churches. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful for those programs. And I'm thankful for... Uh, the work that CORE does um, with their leadership. I think that there's, when, when we come to small uh, rural and even small inner city communities, there's a different dynamic. And we need to figure right. out how do we reframe what we know so that it is applicable to the places uh, where small membership churches are. Yeah, some things can be scaled down, but not everything can be scaled down. Sometimes you have to totally rework things. Right. Uh, and I think that's what you're talking about here. Is, uh, so uh, just to conclude here, what uh, is there anything we haven't covered about either lay ministry or the academy that you think it's important for people to know? I, I think the most important thing that we need to remember, and I think I probably have said it 
before. But I think the most important thing is how important the small membership church is. Um, two weeks ago, uh, my pastor, the pastor that I was in, that was in my small membership church, 35, inner city, San Francisco, passed away. And he was the pastor that I identified with uh, and really I've, I've set up some of my ministry with. Um, he, he would roll up his arms and get dirty. <laughs> he would be doing the workday projects. Um, he was always involved in the talent shows we had at church. Um, and he also gave me my first job, which was lighting candles. Okay. When they kicked me out of choir because I couldn't sing. He gave me the job of, of uh, lighting candles. At least you got into the choir. I never had the chance. So. Uh, no. I, no. Um, after the first session, they asked me to leave. Okay. <laughs> but, but he gave me that first job of lighting candles. And then they gave me the job of leading worship and reading scripture. And then I, you know, I um, uh, preached my first sermon at 17. So I've been at this a while. But... You know, it's because of not just that pastor, but that community of faith that this is where I am today. And um, I think the thing we need to remember, and it's not just me, but it was all my friends who continue to go to church because they grew up in that small membership church. I think we forget the influence and the impact that the small membership church has. And every time a small membership church closes, um, a part of the uh, fabric of the whole church um, is, is less. And so to, to all those that are serving small membership churches and all the people in small membership churches, let's, let's keep the vision. Let's keep remembering that we're there. We're important to God. We're important to the message of Christ. All right, well, let that be the last word. Carl, thanks so much for your work with small membership churches and with laity. Well, thank you for coming down and uh, uh, interviewing me today. I want to thank Reverend Dr. Carl Ellis for taking time to speak with me in his home office. I hope you heard his passion for lay ministry and his passion for the small membership church in today's society. Again, everyone is welcome to take part in the spring workshop hosted online by the Academy for Small Membership Church Ministries. It's scheduled for February 26, 2022. It's likely going to be on Zoom. Registration information will be available soon, so keep an eye on the Great Plains Conference website. That's www.greatplainsumc.org. Or check out the Academy's website at www.tasmcm.org. As Carl said in our discussion, registration is just going to be $10 for a half day of training and inspiration. is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifer. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find us. And please, if you feel so inclined, share us on Facebook or other social media. Our music comes via a licensed subscription with First Com Music. You can find archive podcasts on my website, toddseifert.com, 
or via a link on the conference website, greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. Feel free to email me any questions or suggestions to tcypher at greatplainsumc.org, and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.